Hello. Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by my fellow editor, Catherine Rubino. Hi, Joe Patrice. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good, good. You know, good. it's a... It's a short week. There was a holiday um, yes. this Monday, so um, I expect things to be pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't see any reason to believe that any major news well, will— Well, I asked the Capitol Police, and they, they don't think anything's going to yeah, happen. they think it's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, well, I, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about that. I guess let's let's jump right into that subject. Uh, there's all these concerns that things mm-hmm. could get worse, and by the time you hear this, maybe they have, but— uh, there's also something to be said from my perspective as somebody who did criminal defense. Obviously, it was white collar and it was more complex. Has there been a situation ever where so many new defendants did such a bad job of hiding <laughs> what they were doing? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty stark. I don't know if you've seen a bunch of the TikToks that are going around where uh, people are like, you're criming bad. Yeah, it's you real bad. You are bad at crime. And that's the only thing that makes me think that maybe things won't get too much worse right now is that most of the people who would cause that trouble are systematically getting indicted by. <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. I don't think nearly as many people as should have been have been indicted yet. Yeah. I think if there had been a, more arrests made the day of the insurrection, we would be in a much better place to prevent a second attack because more people be arrested. I yeah. think that that is, that is off the top. I'm not going to say anything else that implies that th- th- there was a better option. It was out there. It was obvious. It's what would have happened if any other group, particularly if it was folks of color, did of it, right? It's astonishing that that's not what had happened. And even even what has happened is is not nearly good enough. Yeah. That said, I it is nice to see people arrested for, you know, trying to overthrow the government since they tried to overthrow the government. Seems like the least you could do. The very least. Yeah. So, yes, as I said, it was as somebody who uh, dealt with the system, just mm-hmm. watching uh, some of these indictments are hilarious. Like uh, they read like where there's usually paragraph after paragraph, like explaining how the thing goes. There's mm-hmm. just one paragraph going on X date defendant posted a picture of themselves inside committing crime attached please see this youtube video yeah Yeah, i mean listen there this was very public it was a incredible sense of entitlement from i think that's really the big difference you have a group of of defendants or potential defendants that felt they were incredibly entitled to do what they did and they did not care about what the law may or may not be Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you even see that, um, what's her name, who flew on the private jet over, yeah. got indicted. It was like, well, I demand an indict, uh, 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 pardon. So, pardon. And let, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. No. And okay. uh, by cool. the time. Cool th- story. <laughs> yeah. By the time this comes out, uh, they may well have been pardoned. Uh, we, we are doing this before what's promised to be the big pardon dump. Mm-hmm. So uh, who knows? But uh, seemingly over 100 pardons are coming is what we hear. And uh Theoretically, okay. not one for... Who do you think is the best odds of getting a pardon? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I think there's going to be some weird ones in here. I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's like long dead people who end up getting pardons for things that don't matter. Like, Really? I saw somebody, I saw somebody make the uh, muse on Twitter that like Al Capone or something. Like, like just oh, random people I think could end up Well, in I mean, I heard Little Wayne... Is yes. to get one. Um, no, but I mean, like, who do you think has the best odds? If you were, if you were making odds, I don't, I don't know. know, Ivanka. Yeah, it seems as though 
the family is not being discussed, but this is really not a topic I intended to have conversed about more than three seconds since it's all going to have happened by the time this podcast is out. So it doesn't really make any sense for us to be making these sorts of guesses. So what do you want to talk about, Joe Patrice? I, well, I was just talking about, you know, indictments and how they operate and stuff like that and mm-hmm. writing those. Uh, and that's just something that you deal with on the litigation side. But if you work with contracts and don't use contract tools, you're missing a lot. Save time, make more money, and do a better job for your clients with contract tools by paper software. Contract tools is the most powerful word add-in for working with contracts. Thousands of lawyers all over the world rely on contract tools every day for every kind of deal. Visit papersoftware.com to watch a demo and get a free trial. As a special offer to podcast listeners, use coupon code LTN 2020 to get one month free. That's papersoftware.com and LTN 2020. So there's um, there's been an impeachment. Yeah, a second one. Yes, uh, which we were... Impeachment to Electric Boogaloo. Yes, we had sense last week that this was probably going to happen. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It has now happened. We went through a lot of the procedural elements of it. There have been two like legal questions about it that have come up. One of which that's been kicking around a lot today is this continued debate over whether or not former presidents can be tried in the Senate. Like, can you conduct this trial? Yes. Well, so the argument is that the— <laughs> I, I, I don't, is, is there much of an argument? Yeah, uh, because the punishment for impeachment is to be removed from office, which would seem moot if somebody is no longer in office. Well, they can office. also vote potentially to have them barred from future office as well. Yes. So there is a separate vote that can happen off of that to do that. Now, the question is whether or not that's something that fits within this context of impeachment. Now, there are arguments uh, going around that I've seen of people making points that we have notes of the conduct of the Constitutional Convention and that this scenario was more or less discussed. Not, you know, social media outrage leading to an insurrection, but there were people during the Constitutional Convention making points about it has to include more than just removal or else people would just commit crimes on their way out the door. And so there's some original public meaning history behind it that suggests that there's scope of continuing a trial even after somebody's left office. Yeah. If only there was a body of thought that cared about the original meaning. Yes. No, absolutely. The question here, uh, which deals with originals, is so Jonathan Turley's the main character who everyone's talking about because Jonathan Turley is going from network to network explaining how there's no justification for trying somebody after they've left office, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But as you've probably seen, the the issue, though, is that people have dug up this 1999 article in which he goes on at length about how clearly the Constitution means that you can do this after people have left office. It's almost as if uh, people change their opinion about what words and, and procedures mean based on who they apply to. Yeah, well, and in his case, though, in his case, it's not even that. Like, because well, what, what do you what what's your hypothesis? Well, to the extent that I mean, he's historically been a, a more liberal leaning uh, academic. It, it seems as though it's just whoever's going to let him be on TV at any given moment. I, I don't you think, think it's there's... that craven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I, I <laughs> listen, I, I only think that Jonathan Turley is that craven because I've covered Jonathan Turley before, uh, which doing that uh, helped. But yeah, no, I mean, it's problematic. Uh, one of the 
academic arguments going around about it is the question, and this has sparked a fight between a bunch of professors online, but at what point does this become the school's problem and an ethics problem? Hmm. If you have law professors utilizing their credibility as law professors and the school's credibility Mm -hmm. as their employer to make public opinions that you can check the receipts and see they don't really believe and their scholarship says that they have no basis to believe. Mm -hmm. Like, at what point is that denigrating the institution? And I think that is a problem that goes well beyond the legal sphere, right? There was in the beginning or middle of COVID, who knows, time was weird, right? There was that Stanford doctor who was was saying a bunch of crazy stuff about the pandemic and was told by the school, "Your, your services are no longer welcomed. So, I mean, you know, I think that that is a much larger society level issue as opposed to just something that lawyers have to grapple with. But it also speaks to questions of tenure and academic freedom, right? Like we don't we don't fire people for saying stupid things because they should be have the freedom to, you know, be scholars. And that includes Mm -hmm. like saying, you know, letting their brain go different directions in order. But at what point is this beyond academic freedom and becomes an issue of them hurting the institution itself? And this is a subject we've tackled in the past with regard to professors like Penn's Amy Wax. Yes. So just, who goes I, out I and you makes— You made that, that explicit argument, right, that yeah. she actually hurts the reputation of the school when it comes to Amy Wax. Right, and, and that it's not academic freedom what she does because mm-hmm. what she she does not cite anything she is not using it as the basis of actual studies or mm-hmm. and, you know, and just and for it, people who may not be super mm-hmm. familiar with Amy Wax's oeuvre I know you've written probably a dozen articles about mm-hmm. her but if you were to kind of summarize what she's written quickly what would you say she's a pen law professor who writes a lot of public opinion pieces not scholarship in which she makes any number of largely white nationalist claims. Uh, oh, that, that sounds delightful. Black people aren't smart. She's never known of any black people who've ever performed well at school. Right, like, uh, yeah. Like and she all actually, didn't she say things. that, like, even at her, she made it, it certainly implied that at her school, no person of color did well, right? right. which we know is not right. true. Because there's blind puts grading. Her, and it puts her in a weird place because there is blind grading. Right. So it's like, were you... Do you know this because you were in breach of the grading policies, or do you know that not or, or know this and are making up. this up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the latter. Right. <laughs> and, and like, look, there's problematic people along those lines in legal academia. But mm-hmm. look, that mismatch book that like Sander wrote out at UCLA is just academic garbage, and people have poked holes through his thesis all over the place. But at least that was an attempt to do something academic. academic right. uh, this, it, what she does is not. And I've said in the past, at what point does this cross the line of tenure and protection of academic freedom and say, like, you're leveraging the reputation of this university in a way, or this law school in this university, mm-hmm. in a way that is detrimental and therefore a reason for us to take action for cause that you're causing trouble. That's I mean, been it's discussed before right? because, and it applies here. Yeah, but but the other thing is I think that tenure gets a really bad rap primarily from the right because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of seen as protection of these crazy liberal 
commie pinko liberals in academia, right? And so I, I'm very uh, hesitant to make, you know, stances against things like tenure sure. or anything that unions potentially are in favor of and to protect. And, you know, I think that the the kind of weakening of unions across America, period, across lots of different professions is problematic. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think, and I, I actually would push back on the idea that this is that this has a right-left dynamic anymore. It seems like these days... I think it started there, certainly. Sure, yeah. It seems like these days, the argument about it is all about protecting Amy Wax's ability to say whatever that she wants. Mm -hmm. But it is true that there has to be some level of accountability for the sake of helping the institution, which, you know, it's tough. But uh, this is where we end up, where somebody has written actual scholarship saying this is what happens, and now that they get a chance to be on TV, they're saying the exact opposite. That is a level of hypocrisy without an explanation of how they've evolved either. Not like a, I looked at it and I've determined I'm wrong. He's just bald saying the opposite. Yeah, and, and, and maybe I kind of come at it from a little bit of a different perspective, sort of, you know, I was a journalism major, mm-hmm. but I think that the the onus is really on the journalists that are having these folks on their show right. or on, you know, in their paper or whatever to say, oh, I have a great follow-up question. How is this different than your 1999 paper, which you say the exact opposite? I think that, and and if there isn't a good answer there, not booking folks, right? Yeah. There, there's, there's no God-given right to have anybody on television, right? Or, or Twitter, but you know... <laughs> You know, there's. I think that there's a an, an important role for journalism, and I think that journalists need to take a much better stance at, at poking holes in these sort of obvious attempts to just become famous for the sake of being famous. Everyone likes to make fun of, you know, reality TV stars for their craven desire to just be famous without any skills, but at least they are very clear and, and honest about what they're trying to do. Oh, right, and I, I don't think there are credible journalists involved in this discussion, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) The one other aspect of impeachment that's come up is uh, early on, uh, Giuliani appears to have been lining himself up to be Trump's defense lawyer. Which is weird, right? Because wasn't there a whole story about how he wasn't getting paid? Yes, he is not getting, apparently getting his fees paid by Trump, which you would think unsurprising. Would, yeah, which, which you would think would shut down the work. But you know, I think at this point he's pot committed. I don't yeah. know. So there's anywhere else. I guess for that's him fair. You know, if if Trump needs to be exonerated in order for Rudy to have some sort of credible post career, the argument that he seemed to may be making in interviews was that he was going to utilize the defense to be solely about the voter fraud allegations that have been debunked all over the place, uh, with the argument being it couldn't have been incitement if those things were true. That's that's not how not that, really how that works. It doesn't really make sense, but whatever. That was where he was going. It turns out, though, there was the other ethical issue, which has now come full circle. He's now said that he cannot be the lawyer in the impeachment trial to the extent that he is a fact witness, which was obvious to anybody sure. who understood sure. what was going on. Yeah. Uh, can we just just kind of take a second to recognize that the the lead of the story is not he has a terrible understanding of the underlying law. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, he's only he's famous for being a lawyer first, and he does not seem to have a, a great understanding of any of the things that he's supposed to be lawyering about. Well, yeah, because this isn't a this isn't some unique impeachments, a weird animal thing that you know, yeah. like, 
fact witnesses can't be lawyers is is a real thing. <laughs> sure. uh, and and it, and it's a thing that can be abused too. I mean, we've written in the past there's a case that Alan Dershowitz, also somebody being discussed in this impeachment <laughs> uh, uh, impeachment trial. Alan Dershowitz's case revolving around Jeffrey Epstein and those mm-hmm. allegations. One of the tactics he deployed in that case was to suggest that this is all a crime that the lawyers for the other side are using against me to extort me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he made a motion saying that means their lawyers are fact witnesses to my counterclaim, so they can't be the lawyers anymore, which seems like— Trying to do an end around or on. Yes, it, it seems like an end around anything that a judge would say, no, you, you don't get to circumvent the choice of counsel that the other side has by making— largely baseless allegations. As it turns out, the judge said that was okay. Uh, That's what led to another lawyer getting involved. Mm -hmm. But that is a tactic that can be abused, but because it's something that we all know. We all know it in all sorts of contexts. It's not being abused, right? He was there. He's the one who said trial by combat. (laughs) Right. That's my my point was it's a a tactic that exists beyond the impeachment world. It is a common litigation point uh, to say this is This is basic lawyering. This isn't like, oh, I don't know. You haven't been in the courtroom in 15 years. this This is kind of... 101 level of stuff. And if you haven't been in the courtroom for 15 years, you might not know how the legal industry has developed. But if you're interested, how have law firms weathered previous economic downturns to come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. One thing that has come up a lot over the last week is the United States, which has more or less not deployed the death penalty over the last several decades, Mm -hmm. has been on a tear of executing people, driven largely by the Bill Barr-run Department of Justice on his way out the door. These cases are coming up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is punting repeatedly. In fact, going to the point where it's procedurally weird some of the stuff they're doing to bend over backwards to ensure that these executions happen. Yeah, it's kind of unsurprising, I guess, but still um, deeply upsetting that this is sort of the last thing that the Trump administration wants to be um, known for. But I suppose in their mind, uh, killing people is better than insurrection? Question mark? I don't know. It forms a weird counterbalance with the mask commutation and pardonings, right? Like on this one hand, on this one hand, there's this image of clemency coming out of one side of their mouth and this, we need to just like no modest delay can happen. We have to kill all these people within a week. Yeah. I mean, there are two Americas, right? We know that this is another way that this, this is true. There's, there's things that people of means and and yeah. people of privilege get to have and and that's sort of the clemency pardoning side of his mouth and I mean I don't think that all those people are obviously we haven't seen that but sure. I, a lot of those people are not going to be people of means that but that he's pardoning but yeah yeah it's an interesting juxtaposition justice Sotomayor has, of course written some scathing dissents to these cases about how this is getting out of hand and seems to be mm-hmm. entirely political motivated which I'm sympathetic toward, but I it's also one of those unfortunate places where I feel like your hands are more or less tied. If you begin from the premise that the death penalty is okay, 
putting aside whether or not that should be where you begin, but it's clearly where the majority of this court is. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's hard to imagine what procedural roadblocks you can throw up here. Like it's the only real way to slow this stuff down is if you're coming at it from the perspective of, of there's a yeah. there's an actual Eighth Amendment problem with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we just don't have the votes for that, right? right and now. it's unfortunate, uh, and it, we should, you know, as people in the past have written about it, uh, we shouldn't push this as quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the sort of thing that you don't want to uh, make a knee-jerk decision on. But unfortunately, I think the courts are in a place where if you're not going the, you know, the whole yard of this is not okay, then I don't know what what they can do to slow it down. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know sort of the ins and outs of several of the cases, but it does seem to me that there are potential procedural issues with the 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 rush to do it as mm-hmm. if there's some time, you know, because there, there's a literal date that they have to be, you know, executed by in order for it to happen in their mind. And I think that that does create quite a few, I think, procedural and constitutional issues that probably should be, you know, litigated and heard out and argued, but we're not getting any of that. Yeah, I, I do think there's there could be an argument that, like, the idea, and, and Sotomayor makes this point mm-hmm. in uh, one of the pieces, the, the idea that after four years, everything has to be done in the last couple of weeks right. is indicative of ill intent. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, it's... I, I mean, listen... I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, I love Justice Sotomayor, but that's right to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard for it's hard for me to argue against it. I think she's right. You know, we're going to transition now uh, out of some of these weightier subjects to have a quick conversation about the state of the legal industry and, mm-hmm. you know, business side stuff for law firms. But a lot of it is going to deal with, you know, people in jobs and administration. So I think this is a Excellent point to hear from our friends at Lexicon who are going to talk about administrative tasks. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. So Thomson Reuters came out with a report uh, in conjunction with Georgetown last week about like the state of the legal industry and mm-hmm. what it showed. And we've talked a little bit about this with uh, various guests over the last year. But what it showed was that there was a significant slowdown COVID-related in the couple of months immediately after that it really caught fire in the United States. But that was largely followed by a recovery, yeah. uh, and that the second half of the year was not all that uh, all that far off. Yeah, I mean, I think for the the legal industry was was not hit particularly hard. Certainly not comparative to other American industries. Yeah, and and that's sort of been the underlying tone of most of what we've written in in twenty mm-hmm. twenty. You know, and we had the kind of our year end wrap up shows talking about how it wasn't just about sort of the COVID austerity measures that happened in the very beginning of twenty twenty, or even some of the layoffs or furloughs. But by the end of the year, the story was COVID bonuses. And, you know, so you're seeing more money at the end of this year, which, listen, folks are working harder. It's a terrible thing to have to live through. If companies have the means to give the money to their workers, they should do that. 
But that's the story is how much more money are you getting year over year from last year? We've seen, you know, the legal industry has bounced back. And and what we're hearing sort of more anecdotally, there haven't been a ton of, of studies about the number of hours yet that people build in 2020. But people are certain groups are talking about really high hours, you know, depending sort of about your specialty and whatnot. So that that is a thing that we've we are seeing. Other than bankruptcy, most groups took a step back over the course of the whole year. That said, it was a more modest cutback than I think a lot of us would have mm-hmm. expected by the time all of a sudden done. Revenue was more or less on track. But what was really interesting was the level to which the expenses are just non-existent. Well, that's true. Uh, like the level to which they- like No uh, one had a travel budget. Right. Travel, recruiting, all mm-hmm. giant line items that just didn't really get exercised. Right. Uh, that is where we ended up with profits per equity partner being so much higher this mm-hmm. year, and hence bonuses. And th- yeah, and th- that's even considering the fact that they are paying their associates more money. If you think about COVID bonuses or special bonuses, um, you know, even if you count that, you're still seeing a bump no, yeah, to, the, still to the partner numbers. Yeah, now the unfortunate thing is some of this was driven by cutbacks in staff, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about before, is super unfortunate because obviously as technology and the needs of the profession have evolved, staff has been not as necessary in the numbers that it has been Mm -hmm. in the past where brute force was so important to get the legal industry job done. That said- Right, sort of kind of the the little c conservative nature of the legal industry has meant that for years, even though the same services, they needed to change their sort of model because of technology and other differences. They sort of delayed that. And and only because of COVID that they actually, a lot of firms take the step of actually making the changes. Well, as we've said on the show before, it's more of a, a, the unfortunate nice guy effect of law firms that they feel they're doing a favor by saying we probably should cut back this segment, but you know, we can afford it. We can keep going and keep these people on the payroll for a while longer when times are good. And then when times are bad, they drop the hammer. And it's unfortunate because when times were good, that was the times when those folks could easily go out and get a new job. Instead, they do it at the worst possible time Mm -hmm. when things are bad. And it just exacerbates the pain, which is problematic. Most firms, though, as the report outlined, came out of the end of the year in prime position to take off as things get better, Mm -hmm. basically operating at close to where they were at the end of the year before, and of course, with a bunch of money in their pockets. That's not true of everybody. I mean, we did see that Norton Rose uh, made some significant cutbacks of both staff and attorneys. Mm -hmm. Uh, These weren't U.S.-based jobs, but Mm -hmm. for global law firms. Yeah, and I believe that they was sort of under the reorganization umbrella of sort of cuts. Yeah, but I mean, global law firms are global law firms, and the idea that they had to cut in Europe and Asia was Mm -hmm. a suggestion that not every firm has come out of this as well as others. Now, question, was that something where, you know, an issue with how they weathered the storm or a question of they were already a little bloated? Their series of mergers has, well, we've had rumblings in the past from partners who have left that firm that the organization was in trouble because of redundancies and Mm -hmm. the way in which they kind of have grown. But it's a testament to the fact that there are still some firms, as much as we have a rosy picture, generally speaking, of how we're coming out of this, uh, not every firm is in that position. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to kind of take the the blush off the rose there, but I think that the good fortunes of the law firm are often on the backs of sort of mm-hmm. the the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. Well, I think that's more or less everything we had to talk about. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You should be subscribed to the show. Give it reviews stars as well as write something because that helps out uh, the algorithm know that you're an engaged member of the audience you should be reading above the law as always you should follow us i'm at joseph patrice she's at Catherine one the numeral one you should be listening to the jabot which is a show that she hosts you can listen to the legal tech journalist roundtable is like what we call it internally but that's not what it's called on uh your podcast subscription services where they call it legal tech week so listen to that because that's what i'm on uh you should be checking out all of our sponsors contract tools by paper software lexicon as well as lexus nexus interaction and their new report you should do some other thing, I'm sure, but Catherine's looking away right now and not really engaged in the conversation, so I don't know. Sorry, this is usually your your moment to shine, the end credits. Oh, this is the, this is shining, is your theory. Okay. I mean, I'm shining for 30 minutes, <laughs> nonstop. Maximum effort. Nonstop. There is no no pause, no, no off switch here. I'm just... There is no off switch, that is correct. Mm. Mm. Anyway, so with all that said, uh, we will uh, check you out uh, next week. Uh, happy short week, everybody. And I mean, not that lawyers get short weeks. There was a holiday. You still probably had to work, unfortunately. All right. Talk next week. Peace. Peace.